Welcome to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance Physical Therapy. Here we will discuss all things related to physical preparation, including rehab, performance, and education. Welcome back to Training Room Talk, powered by Precision Performance. This is Dr. Nick Perugini, and joined today with Dr. Ray Carr. How's everyone doing today? And Coach Rob Rabina. What's going on, guys? This is part two of our unilateral series. On our last episode, we discussed our top three exercises uh, for upper body training. And, you know, on that episode, we discussed, you know, why and how we're using, you know, a, a unilateral exercise uh, compared to a bilateral exercise. And, and following off that topic, again, I think it's important to, you know, understand that, you know, bilateral training is always going to be a, a big part in our programs, whether that's in the rehab or performance setting. In our bilateral movements, you know, one of the, one of the main things that we're seeing is, hey, we're able to really, uh, really focus on generating strength. We're able to load uh, generally these movements a little bit more than our unilateral exercises. But what we're finding is that, you know, utilizing unilateral exercises allows us to, you know, one, address asymmetries from right to left. Right, and Ray's going to talk, uh, touch on that in a little bit. You know, we're able to utilize our, our full range of motion and, and maybe express uh, rotation through our lower and upper halves, you know, similar to movements that we're seeing, you know, on the field or in our sport. So again, you know, both have a place in our programs. Um, and, and really the goal of today's episode is to just, again, further dive into some of the three, you know, our top three exercises for lower body training, you know, and how and why we would use those movements in a uh, sport performance or rehab type setting. So we're going to go ahead and let Ray kick things off. He's going to go through his uh, top three exercises and, and touch a little bit about on, on how to, you know, use those uh, exercises in the program and, and why he likes them so much. So let's go ahead, Ray. All right. Yeah, let's get to it. Um, so, yeah, I think Nick mentioned like a great point. I think, you know, anytime you're programming any movement, right, like there has to be intent, like a goal behind it. Um, and like you said, like from a bilateral standpoint, like you can really maximize load and strength, power, like everything. Right. But the unilateral movements have their advantages as well. And I think from like a physical therapy standpoint, um, I touched on this on the upper extremity one as well. Like, you know, naturally people are coming to us with injuries. I mean, sure, sometimes they are on both sides, but a lot of times unilateral injuries, meaning one side's involved, the other side isn't, right? So naturally you have even a larger asymmetry than we normally do. Um, so all the more need for from a rehab standpoint to train unilaterally to help close down on those gaps from side to side so that when you get underneath one barbell, you're moving more symmetrically um, and you can move more weight. So um, I'll get started here with my first one, uh, which I will say is a single leg uh, goblet box squat. All right. Um, I love the goblet hold for this, right? Uh, a little bit more anterior trunk control. Um, and then just the nature, I usually emphasize a little bit of uh, an eccentric component with this, like a three to five second descent. Um, and I think there's a lot of value in this movement from a squatting standpoint, because I think a lot of times you look at somebody's bilateral squat 
And a lot of, you know, I mean, I see a lot of like great lifters and like you look at a traditional body weight squat, doesn't look all that hot. You know, how many times have we seen that in the clinic, you know, or up, up training with you, Rob, you know, I mean, it doesn't look all that hot, but you know, sometimes that's an advantage of breaking things down. Yeah. You can't load it as much. Um, but to focus on like the injury, of course, and then also just cleaning up mechanics as well. Um, you know, those are two of the components along with anterior trunk control, great quadriceps control. Also, the box part of it is going to uh, facilitate a little bit of a weight shift back to get you a little bit more glute activation and a more vertical shin position on your ascend. Um, so I think you can get a couple different things with this single leg goblet box squat, you know. Uh, again, quadriceps control on the way down, a nice weight shift onto the box, get a little bit more glute and vertical shin pattern on the way up until that quad kicks in again. Um, so, uh, all right, moving on here. Um, what, um, what kind of population or what kind of person would you use that with? Like someone comes in the clinic, um, you know, obviously with some kind of limitation somewhere, whether it's strength, range of motion or pain, like what kind of things are you seeing that would lead you to use that exercise? Yeah, I think I really, I mean, anybody with traditional lower quarter symptoms or pathology, you know, so it, it could be a glute tendinopathy. It could be IT band syndrome, right? It could be uh, a quad tendinopathy or maybe, you know, patellar tendinitis. Um, sometimes even using it from an, like, a, like an ankle perspective, right? Like there's, uh, I think there's benefits down the entire uh, lower stream there. How about post-op? Yeah, post-op, definitely huge. I think because anytime, like, Nick's, you know, when people are coming into us, like, yeah, post-op situation is 100%, like, my ACLs, like, all day, man. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, I'm hammering that all day. It's one of the first things I go to. Uh, you know, like, after BFR, you're most likely going to be going, you know, some kind of a probably assisted split squat. You're going to be doing that negative box goblet box squat, you know, and we might not even load it initially, you know. Um, but yeah, man, definitely. Uh, does that answer your question there, bud? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, second, uh, love this movement. Uh, it's a it's an RDL variation. Um, it's a landmine RDL. Okay, single leg landmine RDL. I would say that's number two on my list. I use it a ton. Um, one of the things we really focus on, and you know, a lot of times I'll start people even naturally with a foam roller, right? This is something we learned in some PRI classes, right? Like pushing the foam roller, facilitating getting acetabulum ro internally rotating on the femur, right? Like getting that connection there. Um, and I think the landmine single leg RDL is a great way to achieve that while also loading the posterior chain, right? So this is another movement, you know, um, from a perspective that I would use with anyone coming in with a lower quarter injury, a post-op situation um, where there's asymmetries present um, and maybe needing to clean up some mechanics. I think it also transfers well for pitchers, right? Because you think about a pitcher and they're following through, right? Like their finishing position is almost this exact same as finishing position or the, the bottom position of a landmine single leg RDL. You know what I mean? Um, so I think it's also specific to really specifically the, uh, the athletes in the population we work with. Um, so, yeah, thoughts about that one, guys? Anything? Right, just go over your setup, just the, uh, just the initial setup of that exercise. Are you, like, facing the side of the landmark? Are you directly facing it? 
you know, head on? Yeah, so the landmine, so the barbell, obviously the barbell is in the, the landmine center console there, right? The barbell is going to be perpendicular to your body, all right? And I think it's important to actually start initially from the bottom, like have, like get your, like if you're going to, you're going to be standing on your outside leg, all right? So you might have to flip around, but yeah, getting into a single leg stance position, um, grabbing the barbell, right? Starting from, well, I mean, grab the barbell with two legs, go into a single leg position, slowly lower down, getting AFIR, good depth. Yeah. Did I explain it well? I mean, it wasn't the best, but. <laughs> well, we'll link a video. <laughs> yeah, I mean, perpendicular to the barbell. Um, yeah. That's good. I got you. I got, I got it. Yeah. Good. yeah, man. Um, and then the third one uh, is something a little bit more dynamic um, is depth jumps, right? So you can do depth jumps a number of ways. You can jump off with two legs, landing on two legs. Um, the one I want to talk about is a depth jump jumping off the top of a box, landing onto a single leg, all right? Um, I use this a ton for return to jumping, return to running progressions. I think, it's, I think it's critical, like, before you jump, like, you need to be able to land. You need to learn how to accept load through that limb again. Um, so this is another situation where, yeah, maybe it's someone post-op or maybe it's someone that suffered a, a tendinopathy that you're progressing back into running or jumping, um, to me, landing is where you start, like from a jumping perspective. Like you need to be able to land, accept load properly. Um, so again, just thinking about setup, start on top of the box, guys, right? Jumping off, maybe initially from a progression standpoint, maybe you're having them just step off even, okay? Um, it all depends on where you're at in the rehab. Um, but yeah, and practicing a nice, soft, quiet landing, all right, accepting load, getting into almost a finishing position, very similar to a hinge position, right? Back into the hip a little bit, posterior chain loaded, right? Because that's what we want from a propulsion standpoint. Like when we get into repetitive jumping and hopping and stuff, like you want to be loading that posterior chain, obviously. So, um, yeah, what are your thoughts about that one, guys? Right, from a qualitative like, standpoint, what, where are your eyes going when someone's performing this movement? Are you watching from the front? You know, what are you seeing from head on? Are you looking yeah. at the side? Yeah, so I, I think it's important. I, lo I like actually looking from the side because I want to look, especially like say we're using ACL as an example. Like we're going to want to be careful of knee position here, right? ACL prevents anterior translation of your tibia. So when landing, right, like if you're in a, if you're a very forward knee position, like, you know, it's not going to be healthy for the ACL. Right. And a lot of times, like when that graft is actually really setting its foundation in there in those weeks eight through 12, a lot of times that's when we're also beginning these depth jumps. Right. Like I usually try to like, you know, for higher level athletes around 10 to 12 weeks, like I'm getting into some low level landings, single leg hops. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I look, you know, I think from all angles, Nick, I think I'm looking sagittal and frontal, um, but I'm, I'm cognizant of knee position. I'm cognizant of how they're landing and where they're accepting the load into, right? Um, and I think there's a couple of different ways you can coach it. Like, I think, like, if you're just having someone beginning and this is the first time they're landing, like, all I want is a nice, quiet, soft landing, a firm knee position, you know, right over the toe, line with the toe, 
and sitting back into the hip. All right. I think as you progress, like you can load them a little bit more anteriorly because that's going to better prepare them for when you do get into repetitive jumping and bounding. Um, so, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I think those are exercises that are, that we're all using and have great utility for, for all populations. And I think all those exercises are, are, you know, easily progressed or regressed, which is the beautiful part about, about those. Yeah. And there's just, there's just a certain, like, I just find that like, crazy amount of value in in starting at that ground level and really learning how to accept load and like from a lower extremity standpoint you know like that prepares you like um because and it translates to sports right you know like got to be able to accept tension load right and there's variable stresses so cool great rob what do you think you got uh you know some uh, unilateral exercises that you want to share with us yeah, I mean those are those are definitely three great exercises. Right, I would say I definitely utilize those exercises as well during my training programs. Um, but just to, just to add uh, top three for me, uh, I'm definitely starting with a rear foot elevated split squat or a Bulgarian split squat, as the as the fake people like to call it. Um, it's a it's a it's a great exercise. You know, you can you can load it up. You can go two dumbbells. You could go one dumbbell. You could go from a deficit. Um, you know, it, it's, it's just a great way to kind of really challenge someone, uh, unilaterally with a little back leg support, you know, so whatever you want, if you don't want to call this a true single leg exercise, that's fine. Um, you know, the, the, the back leg kind of just goes along for the ride and loading up that front hip and you can kind of get a, get a good trunk lean and, and, and it's just a, it's just a real go-to for me. You know, once someone can adequately do the, the prerequisite progressions of some split squat lunges, reverse lunges, you know, um, and then once you can hit some reverse lunges for some weight, um, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to a rear foot elevated variation, uh, whether we're holding, you can hold a dumbbell goblet, kettlebell rack, you go barbell. There's just lots of cool variations with a, with a rear foot elevated setup. So definitely one of my, one of my go-tos and, and, you know, we'll go from, we can, we can load it up, hit it to you know, two, two reps, three reps, can go tempo you can you can there's a lot of ways you can just kind of program it which which makes it a, a real go go to from you know for me when you're when you're programming lower body exercises and and, and it's interesting like you can get someone that has never done it before and all they've done is squatting and you put them on that and, and you give them 30s 35s and oh yeah i can squat 200 pounds it, it really gives them some you know humbles them a little bit so it's a cool kind of, you know, just to kind of check your boxes and, you know, make sure your, your, your single leg strength is, is there. Yeah. Rob, someone, someone's performing this exercise and they ask you, Hey Rob, where should I be feeling this? Do you have like some expectations of where people should be feeling it, you know, dis distributing weight between their front and back leg or anything like that? Yeah. I mean, great question. I definitely would say we should be feeling the front leg, the leg that's on the ground. Um, Cause that's where you're pushing from and what you should feel everyone feels a little bit different some people will feel a little bit more hip you know glute hamstrings some people will feel a little bit more quad you know i'm fine with both um you know i think there's definitely some benefits of having a vertical tibia during lunging variations there's definitely benefits of having some angled tibia during lunging variations you know it's definitely not to not to quickly change subjects but that's definitely one thing that i've kind of you know not adjusted or changed over the years is you know I used to be in the heavy vertical tibia crowd and then I 
you know, it was like, oh, well, like, you know, when you look at jumping and sprinting, like you're not in vertical tibia. Like if you want some carry over those exercises, probably should have a little bit of angle tibia, right. you know, especially during squatting and lunging um, activities, which are your, your traditional quad dominant exercises. Yep. So, you know, I think that's, again, not to go off subject, but that's definitely one thing that I'm looking for in coaching when performing those exercises. Yeah, I think, I mean, sometimes, like, I think you can cue foot pressure, too, yeah. right? Like, if you cue someone to push through more of the heel, right, they're probably going to get a little bit more posterior chain as if they're, if you're cueing them maybe to push more, like, equally distributed or more forefoot pressure. Yeah. Rob, do you, uh, do you ever add, um, like, uh, front foot elevated to that, like, for more depth? Like, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, definitely, yeah. I mean, like, yeah, as long as someone kind of checks the box from a flexion standpoint, um, we can definitely start going some like deficit lunges or or some deficit rear foot elevated or front foot elevated, you know, variations, whatever you want to call them. I, I, I really do like that variation because it, it, it gets you that extra three inches or two inches, which is game changing. Yeah, really Especially is. for those that have maybe have a hard time doing some squatting variations and might have a hard time hitting depth for whatever reason. So it gets them into that range where the tissues never really get to. Um, you know, which is, which is, which is cool from not only an ankle mobility standpoint, knee and obviously hip range of motion standpoint. So yeah, yeah love, love the, the deficit rear foot elevated variations. Um, but you know, hopping, hopping to my number two, um, I, this would be more of a, more of a higher level variation, but I'm a huge fan of like a SSB or a front squat grip, uh, reverse lunge. Uh, reason being, those variations give you a lot of trunk control, trunk stability, very, and just with the load out in front, um, it's definitely more of a higher level variation. So if you're younger and you, and you can't handle barbells yet, probably stuck in the dumbbells. But you know, if you're older and and you, and you can do some barbell training, um, you know, you have some training experience, like definitely, definitely would recommend adding some sort of like front squat grip or SSD, whatever your your gym has. Uh, you know, reverse lunges into your program. Um, just having a step back and step back forward with that load kind of up top on your shoulders is is very challenging. Um, and again, for those who have squatted with barbells and you pretty much cut your weight in half, maybe even more in half, it's very humbling. Uh, and and it's good. It's a good way to challenge someone who is strong bilaterally to get them strong unilaterally with a barbell. So it's a good good way for those who have trained before, have some training experience. Hey, load that barbell up and hit a lunge because uh, it's hard. Rob, why uh, why would you program a, a reverse lunge over a forward lunge? I think <clears throat> I like forward lunges. Um, I think with the with just the difficulty of the barbell when it comes to forward lunging variations, what a lot of people kind of the 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 default body compensation is just to shoot the knee forward so when you step forward you're supposed to step forward drop your center of mass down when you when people get tired or they're weak or they can't handle that variation the default compensation is to shoot everything forward right. so just anecdotally in my experience that's not something that we that we want to happen for a lot of people there could be a lot of just some anterior knee pain that that could arise just because you wanted to do forward lunges like that's, that's not, that's not the way to program exercises. Um, you know, so it's kind of a little bit more of a simpler exercise from a technique standpoint, you know, but it's a very challenging exercise at the same time. 
So as a coach, and as a coach that coaches in a semi-private setting, it, it's, a, it, it's, a, it's a win-win exercise because it's kind of a self-regulating exercise that doesn't require a ton of coaching and a ton of technique on the athlete standpoint where you get a lot of carryover from it without any potential risks besides not able to not able to stand up <laughs> just because it's hard yeah absolutely i also think like like a forward lunge you know naturally might facilitate a little bit more extension in your lower back um and so with baseball guys already naturally being anteriorly tilted at the pelvis extend it rotate it you know i think you know reverse lunge you know i like that variation a little bit more than the forward lunge and then my uh, my third exercise, which you might look at it and be like, oh, like that's that's too easy. Uh, I'm gonna go like a single leg hip thrust or a single leg glute bridge variation. Um, I find myself programming this a lot for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, I think one I like it because it's a low level hip hinge exercise. Like you have to be able to hinge to do the exercise properly. Okay. Um, two, we're training glutes and hamstrings at a different range under different load, under different angles than traditional exercises. Um, at the same time, it's, it's a very simple exercise with low risk. So I like it for those who might be new to exercise where it's like, hey, if you do it wrong, uh, nothing bad's going to happen to you. So again, uh, from a coaching standpoint, that if you might coach in a semi-private or, or large group, uh, setting it, it, again it's a, it's a great exercise to kind of where you can set someone up and walk away and know that that person's going to be safe um you know i think some other reasons why i like it uh some of the some of the issues that you might see is when someone glute bridges up their knee shoots forward or they push through the toe you know so right you talked about foot pressure like this is a great exercise to kind of practice that and learn to push through that heel learn to feel the whole foot without a lot of gravity and a lot of body weight jumping down that foot. Um, you know, so it's a, it's, a, it's a cool way to kind of unload the person while still teaching proper hip load. Um, and, and it's an interesting exercise because I, it's an exercise where not a lot of people come to me and are like, Rob, this is easy. Can you make it harder? But when you demo it, it's like, oh, like just bridge up and squeeze your butt. Like, yeah, like that's it. That's what I do. Okay, well, then after eight reps, everyone's, oh, my God, like, this is really hard. Um, so again, it's, 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 it's just a, a very cool exercise. It's a very common exercise that I use all the time um, for all different sorts of athletes. It's a very simple exercise from a technique standpoint. Again, like I, I, I'm in, definitely in the camp of choosing exercises that are easy to perform uh, because I don't want to spend a lot of time teaching exercise technique. I want to spend a lot of time getting better, getting a stimuli, um, and helping people as quickly as possible. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of, you know, basically low risk, high reward there. Correct. I also think like in terms of, so like with deadlifting, right. And translating to deadlifting, I think like if you have somebody like usually like with deadlifting, right. You, you have guys who have great bar speed off the floor, right. But might have trouble finishing or maybe it's the opposite. Right. So I think, I think this single leg, double leg, however you want to load it, I think variation um, in terms of finishing the hinging pattern is a great way to translate to help those who have trouble with that, with maybe like a trap bar deadlift or something like that. Yeah. And, yeah. and Rob, I don't, I'm not sure if you, if you touched on this, but 
you know, I think there's also great benefit in this idea of teaching pure hip extension, you know, versus lumbar extension, right? That kind of, can we extend through the actual hip, you know, using glute, keeping a posterior tilt, keeping ribs down, getting some, some abs as well at that end range hip extension. Yep. Uh, Great points, guys. I mean, I definitely agree with, with both of those points. That's what I mean. It's just like, it's like a big bang exercise. And And that's some, that's an exercise that you should probably program if there's a lot of boxes that are being checked and a lot of things that you're gaining, you know, from choosing an exercise. And, and a lot of people look at program design and they think they have to type and choose all these unique and all these hard and all these different weird variations. But when you really look at it, it's like, hey, man, like get back to the basics, do the basics well. And a lot of, and a lot of good things will, will come from your, from your program. Yeah, I think the most one of the most important things in a training program is you got to allow your athlete to be successful, right? Like within it. And yeah, I think hitting on that is just a great way of doing that. Awesome. Well, you guys, you guys took a lot of my, a lot of my favorites, I'll be honest, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to share you got I'm going to share uh, three exercises with you guys that, um, you know, I'm, I'm using, you know, almost daily. And I, I think there's a lot of utility, you know, in those exercises. So you know, the first one I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, offer is a box step up. So single leg box step up. And again, this can be body weight. This can be anterior loaded in a goblet hold. This can be dumbbells by your side. And this can even be, you know, front rack uh, barbell is something that I'm definitely programming this, you know, in addition, um, double kettlebell front, front rack as well. But you know, the, the step up in, in, in how I'm using it, I'm using it as an assessment, right? So I'm kind of maybe comparing strength uh, unilaterally. Uh, you know, we're also looking at some, some movement patterns. Does, Hey, does one side have a tendency of having, you know, that, that knee come a little bit far forward when we're stepping up, you know, on the way down, are we seeing, you know, a a lack of control at our, at our end range, right? And we're looking at eccentric quad control, um, and, and how, and how that's able to operate from side to side. So I think there's a lot of value in the step up from an, an assessment standpoint, um, from a motor control standpoint from identifying any strength um, imbalances from right to left. In addition, um, changing the height of the box is also going to put the hip in a deeper range of, of hip flexion. And this can be a good way to, if we're, if we're maybe deloading a bilateral squat pattern, to be able to teach the body how to produce force in the bottom of that squat position that you would see in a bilateral squat. So by just basically, you know, you're putting one half of the body in the bottom of a bilateral squat position with the step up. So it's not uncommon to do a, a strict box step up, you know, at 20, 24 inches to find that deep range of hip flexion to teach someone how to produce force concentrically um, on the way up out of the hole in the squat. Again, you know, we could be teaching this with a vertical shin. We could be teaching this with a forward knee position to kind of get the knee used to going over the toe, right? And, and desensitizing that movement pattern. So, you know, for our, our, uh, our popular, and again, really what we're looking at there is why I like the step up is it, it's an open system compared to a split squat, forward lunge or reverse lunge where both feet are in contact with, with uh, the earth. And there's a lot of reference. The, the, the step up exposes, it truly exposes that side, that side of the body and how it's able to operate and produce force due to only one foot being in contact with the ground, which again, when we look at things like running, uh, where, you know, in, in, in gate where we're only 
on the ground one foot at a time, there can be some utility in identifying how that lower limb is operating. So that's kind of the value in a step up versus um, a lunge. And again, a lot of ways that we can do it with, with different implements, with different tempos, with different knee positions. And again, most importantly, I think is box height, right? If we want to really isolate and look at a half of a squat, guess what? We're going to go, we're going to start someone in pretty deep hip flexion. Um, if we want to get, you know, introduce some, some, um, some load and, and some, some eccentric quad control. Great. Let's go tempo three to five second negative, you know, at a, at a 14 inch box and really work on, you know, exposing that, that tendon to some load in a tolerable range of motion. Um, yeah. So step up, I think great exercise, you know, for a lot of people and a lot of ways to tailor it, you know, for your goals and, and for your, your population. Nick, what kind of uh, cues are you using for the unweighted leg? Like yeah. do you mess you mess around with that in terms of like leg up and through into like a march position like i mean do you use you find any value in that yeah i'm not you know i i think i think it looks really sexy honestly Mm -hmm. i i'm not sure that i'm necessarily cueing that uh, a whole lot i think if if i was programming something for like you know some actual plyo type movement where i want someone to move really fast in a hip flexion I mean, I would have someone, let's say you step up with your left leg on a, on a 12 inch box and you're pushing through that box as hard as you can with your left foot and then maybe driving your right knee up aggressively. That's why, when I would probably program a march, if I'm doing anything loaded in a step up, I'm probably not going to cue a march as I'm more concerned about the, the stance leg, uh, producing force on the way up, um, and then essentially controlling on the way down. So again, yeah. you know, I, I think I, I've seen the plyo drills for like that aggressive, like step up March. Um, yeah. I think that's great. If you're, if it's the emphasis is on plyo and moving as fast as possible, if yeah. we're going load, I, I don't really see a lot of utility for that. I would say like, sometimes like I, I, I cue it even with a more controlled, if I really want to emphasize that stance leg, like, almost getting into a little bit of hip extension, like, 100%. yeah, 100%. but other than that, like, I agree with you big time. That's all. Awesome. I think what, what you're going to see if, if when that, let's say left leg's on the ground and that right knee's coming up to a March again, you're going to probably see some like swaying of the low back and bending of the left knee. If yeah. hip extension's uncontrolled. Right. So I think, you know, it, you know, again, and that's going to be hip separation and dissociation that right knee can come into flexion while, while right hip is staying locked in extension. Yeah, that yeah. can be that can definitely be be valuable. Um, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna slightly disagree for maybe the first time ever. <laughs> I think I think, and this is something too, Nick. Like I I always used to teach the step up without the knee drive. Mm-hmm. Always, never taught it. Um, until recently, I, I started introducing the knee drive, um, and I really like it with load um reasons being i think it helps have a better drive of the stance leg i think it it helps i and you touched on this definitely helps improve that power that power step um i like it because it's somewhat similar to running yeah i like it because it's also similar to pitching Um, you know, so like, you know, I I definitely, and again, like it's something that I've changed 
you know, over the years recently, recently, like maybe a couple months ago, where I just started programming everyone I want to do a freaking knee drive on a step up. Yeah. Um, and I think I think it helps get that knee it helps get that knee hip extension of the down leg, um, and it just looks a little bit more athletic. Definitely looks more. Because because if you think about what someone through gait patterns, like and we're stepping or we're moving one leg, but we're not following through on that other leg. Um, and I think we're kind of, I think there's a little bit of a gait pattern benefit there too, of adding that hip flexion component. Right. It's reciprocal. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I don't know. That's, that's kind of my thoughts on it again. Like, yeah. uh, I think like intent is something you have to like consider here too, right? Like, like the athlete or client's intent, like in stepping up, like with a little bit more intent, like you're going to require more stability in that stance left, you know? So, and again, I, I think again, there, there's, definitely utility in the march uh it, i think if the goal is load and pure single leg strength it's not something that i'm going to do just from a, a balance standpoint and the less unstable something is the less load we're going to move so i mean if we're going into that and this is more like a power production i really want to get that leg up and teach someone how to how to you know almost like some strength speed awesome like i think i think that's definitely something that you know we, we can use and again, I think it goes back to like, hey, what's the goal? Who, what's the purpose of this exercise? You know, how can we use it? And I think that's the great part about the exercise is that you can literally tailor it for anything and anyone for any uh, fitness attribute. I mean, and one, one more quick point on the step up. Tremendous in-season exercise. Right. Especially if you take away that eccentric big component. Big concentric focus. Big yeah. concentric. It's a big go-to in-season exercise for me. Yeah. You know, like I talked about the rear foot elevated, I'll swap that out for step operations. Yeah, that's awesome. And again, I think there's there's merit in having that open system, right? And compared to the lunge, where no you're able to expose that that that's that unilateral um, side. But awesome, great, real great. I, I feel like the step up that was a great conversation on the step up. Um, if you're not doing step ups, you should go ahead and check that out. We have videos on our YouTube of of a lot of different variation. I know Rob's YouTube and our precision performance physical therapy YouTube. If you need some inspiration on, you know, some different variations, uh, moving on to number two, uh, number two, I'm going to go with a, a, a RDL variation. This is going to be called a kickstand, uh, RDL. And again, as we mentioned in our, in our past little discussion on the step up, this idea of, you know, the more that we're focusing on balance, the more we're focusing on stability, the probably more we're going to take away from loading right? Or force production. And so a kickstand RDL, if you can imagine a single leg RDL where my left foot's on the ground and my right foot's in the air, all, the, all we're going to do on the kickstand is I'm going to put 90% of my weight on my front, my, my left foot, right? And maybe I'm going to put five to 10%, maybe even less on my back toe. So in this position, you can think about maybe your, your right foot is maybe six to eight inches behind your, your left foot. And the cue I'd use is, hey, uh, we're going to basically pretend like your, your big toe is sitting on an eggshell, right? It's sitting on, on, a, on, a, on a baseball or a softball, and you can't crack that eggshell. Meaning, as we go down into the RDL position, right, as we keep our, our shin pretty vertical, I'm not shifting more weight back onto my back foot. Really, my back foot is there to use as a rudder, almost to kind of keep me into my front uh, hip and front lower extremity. And again, this can be a great way to introduce, you know, single leg hinging uh, for someone 
uh, in using the kickstand. So instead of having that open system, as we just talked about, having a little bit of reference and control with that back foot helps us stay on that front leg a little bit more. And if our goal is to load that posterior chain, uh, that posterior complex, you know, hip, glutes, hamstrings, this is a great way to have someone start to, to feel that connection between ankle, knee, uh, and hip without feeling unbalanced or unsafe, you know, in their environment. Um, generally in this position, single leg RDL, you know, I'm going to, we're going to go kind of, um, opposite. So left leg on the ground, maybe I have a dumbbell or kettlebell on my right uh, hand. You know, we can even progress this to a barbell RDL, for example, if we really want to get some, some more load, uh, in the system as well. And again, I think with a lot of the exercises like Ray, you know, you mentioned, uh, the single leg, uh, squat to a box, you know, again, the kickstand could be a good way to, you know, help groove that movement pattern without having just one leg on the ground. And it's also going to unweight a little bit as well and help share some of that load between legs. Yeah. I love that, Nick. I mean, this is something that honestly, uh, like in my first couple of years of treating, like honestly, until I started really working with you, I really picked this like variation of the RDL, uh, up off of you. And, um, yeah, man, it's, it's, uh, it definitely works. So it's tough. Yeah, I mean, it's a good one. And again, common compensation we're going to see is, you know, people are going to go down in an RDL position and they're going to shift back onto that, onto that back leg, onto that kickstand leg. And so again, one of the cues is I can, you know, you can put one, like a little plyo ball under their foot and say, Hey, like, you know, don't press into the ball more. And it's just, again, a little bit of pressure on that back leg is going to help close the system to help load more of that, that front leg and front hip. And Nick, I think this is a tremendous exercise. Because when you start introducing one leg RDLs, the biggest complaint or the biggest issue that I see is balance. Yeah. Um, people can't, they can't do it. Um, you know, so allowing them to, 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 to give them some load and give them a little balance feedback, tremendous, tremendous exercise, tremendous cues. Yeah, I, I used to use like the Kaiser for like almost uh, like a little bit of cable assistance. Um, and I think you guys have seen me probably use that variation a little bit to just help from a stability standpoint. But I've actually found it more effective to do more of a kickstand variation. I think from a progression standpoint, to get uh, someone more comfortable in that single leg position that you need to be in to do a single leg RDL. Um, yeah, it's, I think it's proven to be more effective. Awesome. Yeah, a lot, lot of ways to get the job done there. but. Uh, yeah, kickstand RDL, and again, you can use that with pretty much anything, you know, kickstand uh, squat, and uh, again, utilizing kickstand, you know, a little more load, a little more stability, um, and again, you can always progress to taking that foot off the ground, but great. Uh, last one I'm going to go with, similar to my first first one, uh, I'm going to go with a lateral, so an eccentric, so a, a, a step down um, with a press out, and so this is going to be something I'm using for a few different reasons. Uh, for a lot of people, you know, I'm going to be using this for, you know, some ankle rehab. Uh, I'm going to be using this to address a soft, a soft tissue limitation in the Achilles or the soleus or gastroc. And really what you, we can think about here is if I'm, I'm on a 12 inch box on my left foot, I'm going to drop my right foot straight down. I'm going to let, I'm going to cue a lot of times if appropriate for that left knee to travel straight over the toe straight over the foot. So I want knee forward here. I want to lengthen 
um, will eccentrically lengthen into dorsiflexion to load the Achilles, load the soleus, load the, um, the gastroc a little bit um, to, to work on end range dorsiflexion in this position. Um, the, the anterior load or press out is going to be used as a counterbalance to help me sit back a little bit and have my hips come straight down without extending through my lower back. In addition, we're also going to get some great eccentric loading um, of the quad, um, you know, probably above parallel. And we're also going to be able to, um, again, look at what's happening from the hip, knee, ankle in the frontal plane, meaning is my, are we seeing any valgus on one leg? Are we seeing any, you know, things that maybe we want to cue at the ankle? Are we seeing excessive pronation or supination? Am I losing my arch? Um, so again, uh, using the plate press out an eccentric focus, three to five seconds on the way down and just gently tapping the heel on the ground. And the cue all you is, is, you know, tap your heel on the ground as if you were stepping on bubble wrap and you can't pop one bubble. And again, what, that, what that's forcing someone to do is use, eccentrically use their quadricep the entire way down and then control it on the way up without losing that stability at the bottom of that range of motion. And again, for, for our tendinopathies, for, you know, ankle, you know, sprain rehab, for, you know, limitations in ankle range of motion that we kind of are seeing that may be soft tissue related, this is a great exercise to catch all of those things. Great one for our runners, great one for our gymnasts. Um, and a great one, again, to, to if we want to address our ankle mobility and maybe someone who's having issues with squatting or lunging or running or jumping or landing, things of that nature. Yeah, yeah quickly, quickly, quickly touch on the differences between that exercise and raised goblet one leg squat to bench. Yes, good. I mean, I think that's good. And uh, I think with your... They're they're both very. I think they're both very similar. I agree. Both, I think they're. Both I would I would say it's it's going to be shin angle. I think your shin angle with my squat is going to be a little bit more vertical naturally, um, and I think like the one thing that's underrated in using that lateral step down is the effect it has on the posterior lower quarter, like the calf and gastroc, and for like forcing you into dorsiflexion. Um, but otherwise, like I think. From a quadriceps control standpoint, like you could focus foot pressure and get more glute on the way up if you want. I mean, I think there obviously is similarities. I, I also think that if you're going to go single leg to a box, one, it's safer, meaning, you know, it's you're on the ground. Uh, I think there's probably something, you know, there's more risk involved, obviously, being on a step which again would not allow it to be loaded as much. And again, I think this can be more something where it's, this is not going to be primarily a load exercise, but it's going to be a time under tension, maybe mobility and motor control type based work where raise single leg squat to a box is going to be probably more like strength specific. Yeah. Like I'm programming them programming that more like four, sets of like six to eight range like you know like more strength kind of component of things yeah um, Jeez, this, this makes me want to talk about crossover step ups yeah and and again i think with with the step down what i'll often do is i'm going to cue the trail leg i'm going to cue the the swing leg so obviously by stepping back with your with your off leg 
you're probably going to decrease shin angle and load different parts, right? We're not going to get as much end range dorsiflexion. If I want to really load someone um, in their anterior knee, for example, common complaint, pain with going downstairs. Guess what? A step off of a six inch box, an anterior step up, meaning if my, my trail leg is now going forward compared to straight down, that's going to be going downstairs. And we're going to need to really eccentrically control quads and have dorsiflexion to go downstairs. So this is going to be something that we want to address. And it's not uncommon for me to have someone hold a PVC pipe or some kind of upper body assist to groove that pattern and for them to feel maybe a little bit safer, like with that constraint in their environment. So that's, that's kind of why I would use that. Great um, stuff. Awesome. So again, you know, unilateral and bilateral exercises, they both should be in your program. You know, the objective of this series was to introduce how, right, and why we're using some of these exercises and the benefits of them. And again, uh, if you're looking for some inspiration or some visuals about what exactly we talked about today, I would recommend going over to YouTube. Rob Urbina has got hundreds of videos on his um, YouTube account you know, precision performance, we've got 300 videos on our account. Um, and I would, and I can guarantee you there are variations of a lot of the things that we talked about today. So again, for, for this discussion, it being very visual, I recommend going out there, checking out some of the movements and, uh, and, and doing them yourself and, and kind of starting to use them with some of your clients, either in the performance or rehab setting. So guys, thanks for uh, joining us again today on another episode of Training Room Talk powered by Precision Performance. If you like today's episode, please like, share, subscribe, share it with a friend, and we hope to see you next time on this podcast. Take care. Did you know we now offer personalized remote programming, one-on-one -on -one video telehealth sessions, and mentorships for both students and professionals. If you're interested in any one of these, please email John at J-O-N at precisionperformancept.com and he can help you get started today.